Today's reading is from Psalm 51, and it can be found on page 573 of the Church Bibles. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Uh, do keep uh, your Bibles open uh, in Psalm uh, 51. And let me um, pray for us as we um, come to look at it together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, that we have your word uh, before us this morning. Uh, we thank you that it is uh, useful for us and that it teaches us uh, and makes us wise for salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that it would do that for us uh, this morning and we ask that you would humble our hearts as we learn about ourselves and we pray that you would teach us um, to look to the Lord Jesus and his mercy. We ask in his name. Amen. Well, it seems appropriate to start with uh, something to do with politics at the moment. Uh, But a few years ago, back in 1998, Bill Clinton uh, was stood with his wife Hillary uh, speaking at a White House press conference. Uh, The rumours and the reports were circling that the 49-year-old president had been unfaithful to his wife uh, with the 22-year-old Monica Lewinsky. Bill Clinton stepped up uh, to the microphone. He looked the world in the eye with his wife by his side, and forcefully denied the claims. You perhaps remember him doing so almost 20 years ago now. 
I quote some of what he said. I want to say one thing to the American people. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I never told anybody a lie, to lie, not a single time, never. These allegations are false. Well, we know, don't we? It became evident that Clinton had actually just turned to deceit and to lies in an attempt to save his reputation, and he desperately wanted to avoid admitting his actions. And for quite some time, uh, he carried on lying to cover his tracks before eventually, uh, during his trial, uh, he confessed to what he'd done. Now this morning we read the words of another man who stumbled uh, just like Bill Clinton, King David, uh, the King of Israel, around 3,000 years ago. And despite uh, God declaring him as a man after his own heart, and some of you will know some of the great things that King David did do in his time, David uh, committed adultery with a woman called Bathsheba. And initially, he too sought to protect his high-profile reputation with a sequence of devastatingly uh, deceitful acts. Now, this psalm is is David's later response to all that went on. It's not a response to uh, a world of rumours and reports. It's a response to the Almighty God, the God who created him. And it's a response uh, to God that was a model to God's Old Testament people at the time who sinned. And it's a model uh, to people like you and me today. But before we uh, look at it together, I thought it would be helpful uh, just to refresh ourselves as to what happened uh, with David. If you want to look it up later, you can read 2 Samuel chapter 11 uh, to 12. But let me read a little bit about what happened uh, and then I'll summarise a little more. One evening, David got up from his bed walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. David finds himself in a spot of bother. And in the rest of the chapter, David attempts to cover his tracks. He calls for Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. Uh, He calls him back from military duty. And his hope is that he will sleep with his wife on his brief return. And that will give the impression that the up-and-coming baby bump, uh, well, it won't appear quite so suspicious to anybody. But when Uriah refuses to do that, David uh, tries again by getting him drunk. That plan fails as well. So David arranges for uh, Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, to be sent back to the most dangerous section on the front line of the battlefield, so that he can be struck down and die in the perfect cover-up operation. It's pretty serious deception to get yourself out of trouble. And that last bit sort of worked. Uriah did die, but David now 
has got blood on his hands, as well as being guilty of adultery and carrying carrying around a whole bunch of bags full of deception and lies. What we know happens next is the backdrop, though, for this psalm. Because David is met with the living word of God through the prophet Nathan, and it cuts him to the core as he hears God's verdicts about all he's done. He is deeply convicted that he is in the wrong. And that's the backdrop uh, to this deeply personal song uh, that we call Psalm 51. We meet David in it, facing up to the depths of his sin. We listen in to his humble confession. And as we listen to his prayer, we also understand the wonderful, merciful character of God and the salvation that he offers to humble uh, and contrite, broken believers. And we see those things uh, right from the off. Just have a look back down with me at verse 1 to 2 to begin with. David says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. You may have counted seven times. David says me or my in reference to his sin. As he says this, he knows that he is personally guilty before God and he deserves God's punishment. There isn't any finger pointing. There's no blaming others or his upbringing or his circumstances. David knows he is personally guilty. But he doesn't just sit there in a dungeon of despair. I don't know if you do that sometimes uh, when you sin. David knows his God. He knows the covenant God of the Old Testament. He knows his character. That he's gracious and compassionate. That he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is one who is overflowing with mercy towards sinners. Now, many people um, today think, don't they, that if God is there, he's an unstable, uh, grumpy dictator. He's an angry God who wants to smite anyone who annoys him in the slightest. And whilst it's true that God is just and rightly angry with sin and must punish it, it is also true that he is abundantly gracious, patient, kind, merciful, and willing to forgive repentant sinners. And David knows that's what his God is like. And we know it even in an even fuller way today. We know of God's graciousness and his mercy because he sent the Lord Jesus who willingly gave up his life as a ransom price for sin. And the Apostle Peter teaches us in the New Testament that every day, including today, God is being patient with people. He doesn't want them to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. And that is the only reason Jesus has not yet uh, returned. David here, though, knows his guilt. But he also knows the wonderful character of God. And so rather than look to himself for the solution, he turns to the gracious and merciful character of God. He knows he deserves absolutely nothing. But he knows that God 
is abundantly generous. So look with me at verse 2 to 5 because we see David's confession and we see why he knows that appealing to God's mercy and his merciful character is the only thing he can do. David is cut to the core about his sin. Look at verse 3, he says, My sin is always before me. I don't know if you've ever done something wrong that weighs on your mind when you wake up in the morning. Something that you mull on in your mind throughout the day. Something that you struggle to get to sleep at night at the thought of. Well, David is right there. His actions are weighing on his heart. And guilt is surrounding him. He knows he has broken God's law. Perhaps you know something of what David might be feeling. But he also knows that his actions aren't just against man. They're in fact a cosmic offence against his creator. And so God is just to punish him. Look at verse 4. He says, against you, that's God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Now David isn't suggesting that he hasn't sinned against Bathsheba and all the other people that he's lied to and Uriah who he's had killed. But he recognises that the ultimate offence here is against God. David has sinned against those made in God's image. Ultimately he's sinned against God and so judgement from God is completely fair. We might be okay with that so far. But look at verse 5, because David understands sin a lot more deeply. He understands sin as being something much deeper than just he's done a few things wrong, albeit quite big things, or taken a few wrong turns. Look at what uh, he says there. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. What he's recognising here is a desperately important truth for us to understand. It is that we were born, uh, even conceived, uh, interestingly that's where uh, God thinks human life uh, begins, isn't it, from that verse. But the point here is that we're born, conceived into a human race, already captured by the power and grasp of sin. David realises that neither he nor anybody else was born morally neutral. We're born into a world fundamentally at odds with God. One of the commentators that I read this week on this passage explains it like this. This crime David now sees was no freak event. It was in character an extreme expression of the warped creature he had always been and of the faulty stock he sprang from. Now I wonder if that is how you understand your sin and yourself. Not just a case of doing a few things wrong, taking a few wrong turns, a few freak events, but an expression of a warped creature that has sprung from faulty stock. Now, as much as we don't like that 
uh, to be true, we can see it to be true. Even in uh, little children, even though they're lovely uh, at times, uh, you all know their default position is to be little rebels. The amount of times I tell some of your children to put the football back in the cupboard that they shouldn't have got out. None of us ever needed to be taught to think, say, or do the wrong thing. We all have a sinful nature that we are born with. Now, that is a really difficult truth for a proud person to accept. You see, we much prefer to think of ourselves as upright, generally good, moral people. And we much prefer other people to think that about us as well. And so what we do is what Adam and Eve did in the garden, or what Bill Clinton did uh, in front of the White House. We deceive other people, and we lie to ourselves. We blame one another, don't we? She told me to eat the fruit. We blame our upbringing. Uh, If only I'd had a better example of a father, I wouldn't treat my wife or children like that. Uh, And while some things might be understandable, they're never excusable. Uh, We perhaps blame our circumstances. Well, I only got angry or drunk or whatever it might be because I'm so stressed and tired and work is really piling on the pressure at the moment. We blame our frustration uh, with our daughter because she's been crying for three hours in the middle of the night on her. We say, I was just at the end of my tether. Well, we justify ourselves by redefining the rules. I remember my mum coming back home once and getting a letter through the post uh, with a speeding fine. Uh, And immediately she said, well, that road shouldn't be 30 anyway. (laughs) I find great enjoyment at pointing out that there were signs still. David, though, is confronted with the penetrating truth of God's word. And he can only plead guilty to his actions and fall entirely dependently on the generous mercy of God. And it is worth noting that only when we face up to the depths of our sin, the truth about ourselves, will we ever be in a position to accept and cry out for the mercy of God. Because if we don't think that we're broken, we're not going to ask anybody to fix us. David, though, knows He is broken. He's a broken believer who knows his sin well. But he also knows the character and capability of God to restore him. So have a look at verse 7 at David's prayer. He says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. David is basically asking to be de-sinned. And he knows that if God chooses to be merciful towards him, his sinful stained life will be washed as white as snow. Perhaps you can think of the last time it snowed and you woke up and how bright it is when you look out the window. It's a remarkable picture, isn't it, of spiritually being made blindingly bright clean before God. David knows that God's mercy acts like a spiritual bleach that can clean the deepest set sinful stains in his life. 
And so he humbly, desperately asks that the, dis- the despair he finds himself in at himself would be changed to joy as his criminal record against God is blotted out and not remembered, torn up, uh, burnt, thrown away, forgotten. And it's not just an outward clean-up David asks for and a clear record. He, he effectively asks to be recreated. You might say born again. And he wants to be sustained, to live a new life, rightly, before God. Verse 10, look with me. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. David asks for a miracle. Only God can create. Genesis 1. He asks for God to start over with him again, to give him a clean, pure, new heart. Now last year, um, Anna and I needed to uh, do that with our car. The garage uh, rang me up to tell me that the head gasket had gone on our little Peugeot. That's quite serious, in case you don't know much about cars. Uh, He told me I would need a new engine to get my car back on the road. And so it wasn't just a case of top up the oil or or put a lick of paint over the scratches on the bodywork, and there were quite a few of them. Uh, The problem was so serious, only a new engine uh, would do. Some of you know we ended up with a new car. Well, David realises the seriousness of his problem. He knows he needs a new heart, not just a bit of patching up. He needs restoring at the deepest human level in his heart and in his spirit. That is the only way he can get back up and running rightly with God. And our warped hearts are where the problem lies. Do you remember what Jesus uh, taught? Our hearts are the problem. That's where sin uh, comes from. But in God's mercy through the Lord Jesus, that's what he offers us if we humbly come to him. A new heart. A renewed spirit. And in verse 14 to 17, we see why David wants this heart. He doesn't just want it to feel better about himself. He wants to worship God as God deserves. David's been sat in silence. He's been despairing at his sin. He's got blood on his hands. What a difference it would make for him to be cleared of his sin, to be washed from his guilt. You can imagine he wouldn't have been able to go in the temple. If he did, he wouldn't know that he was in a dangerous place before a holy God. You can only imagine how being forgiven for what he'd done would lead him to sing and to praise God for his mercy. Now perhaps you know something of what David is talking about here. Perhaps you've uh, come to church on a Sunday before and you've had a particularly uh, bad week. You feel racked with guilt uh, and you're struggling to sing praise to God. And yet we come to the confession, like we have done this morning, uh, or will do, and we get a reminder of what God is like, that he'll forgive those who confess their sins. We get a reminder that there's no 
condemnation for those who are in the Lord Jesus, if they're trusting him, we get a reminder that he's gracious and compassionate and merciful towards people who repent. And I don't know if you found those truths warm your heart and make you want to sing so much more heartily and with such deeper joy uh, in your heart than when you first walked through the door. We can sing songs like this. This is one of my personal uh, favourites, one of my favourite verses from a song. My sin, oh the bliss of that glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. David longs to know the joy of his salvation in God and to glorify him for his mercy. Have a just brief look through those verses. He wants to sing aloud in verse 14. He wants to declare God's worthy praise and righteousness, verse 15. Uh, And crucially, to sacrifice with the kind of heart that God is pleased with, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, verse 16 and 17. Now back in the Old Testament, part of their regular worship uh, involved making various sacrifices. I'll leave for you to read through Leviticus in your own time uh, this afternoon. Um, But many of these sacrifices uh, had become nothing more than an empty religious ritual. They were a disingenuous uh, ticking off of spiritual boxes rather than heartfelt and humble, sincere worship of God. The example we've got in Jesus' days, the Pharisees. Do you remember what Jesus said about them? They honour God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. The equivalent today might be the rotor-filling busy Christian who turns up for everything and perhaps gives the outward appearance of being rather spiritual and religious. But in their heart, and they know this, there's an abundance of pride and they're secretly trusting in their own efforts and not falling humbly at the foot of the cross and asking for his mercy. I wonder, uh, is that you? It's important to note that the Old Testament sacrifices were still important for the people's worship and at that point in history they hadn't been gotten rid of. But the key here is the people's hearts. Look at verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. In other words, and I quote uh, the same guy I did earlier, he's called Derek Kidner, he says, the best of gifts are hateful to God without a contrite heart. The best of gifts are hateful to God without a contrite heart. See, God is not concerned with the size of our sacrifice, but with the humble, uh, genuine heart from which it comes. So it's, not necess- so it's not the person who gives uh, the most convincing uh, veneer of godliness that God welcomes. And it's not necessarily, I say necessarily, the person on the ro- most rotors, or with the most impressive sounding prayers, or the most polished sermon, or with the most generous financial contribution. Even those good gifts and sacrifices are hateful to God, 
without a contrite heart. Now our world will tell us not to worry about being humble before God, about our sin. Keep calm and don't worry about it really. And often the church is more concerned with flashy faith rather than genuine faith that comes from a contrite and humble heart. And in fact, we might be rejected by both, might we, if we start to think and sing like David. But look at the end of verse 17. Who is it? Who are the ones who God does not despise and reject? It is the humble and contrite in heart that David says, Oh God, you will not despise about. Now if you are here this morning and you know you are a guilty sinner who needs the mercy of God, aren't they wonderful words? God will not despise you. King David had done great things wrong, but he humbly came before God. He knew he was broken. He turned to fall on the mercy of God, simply and genuinely confessing his sin and trusting in the character of God for a restored life. And it seems from verses 18 to 19, we won't go into them too much this morning, but it seems that David's personal song became a congregational song for his people. They probably sung it during the exile from Israel. They humbly admitted their brokenness and guilt, and they turned to the merciful character of God. And the wonderful truth for us today as God's people is that God hasn't changed. He's the same God today as he was then, and he always will be. Which means God will still not despise humble and contrite sinners. He will welcome them with open arms. In fact, Jesus said, didn't he, I've not come to call the righteous, those who think they're righteous, but sinners. And because of the Lord Jesus, in particular because of his death, we're able to sing this song with even more gusto and confidence than King David did. You see, we know, don't we, even more greatly the depths of God's mercy to us. Jesus has come and taken our sin on the cross. He shed his blood to wash our guilty consciences and make us acceptable to God. We know he's made it possible for us to be whiter than snow, having our sins completely blotted out. We know he's freely given us his spirit to create in us a new heart, to give us new birth, and to carry on with the clean-up job that needs to happen in our lives. And if you're anything like me, you continue to stumble and fall. And so this is a song we need to continue to sing. We should learn to sing this song of David. And as we do, we should rejoice. God's mercy through Jesus to you, if you are a Christian, has brought such wonderful spiritual restoration to a broken believer. And we see our rejoicing It should include the genuine, contrite, humble response. Uh, The one that we read about in Romans 12. says this, In view of God's mercy, all that he's done for you, offer up your bodies as living sacrifices. Give everything over to the Lord Jesus. 
Now, whether we've sinned as publicly as Bill Clinton, or whether much more privately and quietly, maybe even in church for a number of years, this psalm teaches us that humble, broken believers who confess their sin and turn to the mercy of God are not cast away or despised. They are welcomed by God. So whether you've never confessed your sin or not, when you do stumble, don't stay in that dark dungeon of despair and don't foolishly try to cover it up before God because he knows all things. Like David, humbly come before God, recognise your guilt and unworthiness and trust in the generous mercy of God that he's shown you in the Lord Jesus And as we'll remember in a few moments, his body was broken for you and his blood uh, was shed for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, simply pray that you would humble our hearts to accept the truth about ourselves and cause us to depend and cry out to you for your mercy. We thank you for your mercy you've shown us in the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.